0: Yes, okay, good, good.
1: We're doing a hoo-ha,
0: yep. Okay, we we are are hoo-ha proficient.
2: Oh, hi friends. They wanna be on the pod too.
0: Absolutely, I could make a friend, there's a friend. Somebody's barking, I could make a new friend. Welcome to another potentially useful episode of the t Cap Loop podcast. My name is Larry Bird, and I'm not sure if I'm legally allowed to introduce the co-hosts without first asking their consent. May I introduce you guys?
1: Yes, yes,
0: you may. (laughs) It's Danielle Brostrom and Steffi Light. Before we slather our dig-sit biscuit with a little privacy pate, let's cleanse the palate with t Cap Loops. Moment of Zen. A little consideration. A little thought for others makes all the difference. Turns out social media isn't all bad. I was browsing through teacher Twitter a few weeks ago and came across a great tool shared by our EdTech hero, Liz Kolb, there's the mention, concerning student privacy and immediately thought this would be a great pod topic. Not surprisingly, Danielle and Steffi saw it too and had started scripting out a one-act play based on the chart. Steffi and Danielle would now like to premiere the first (laughs) scene of their new Untitled play. <laughs> Take it away, friends.
1: <laughs> okay, there is no play. Okay, <laughs> I just open to interpret. well, no, Daniel, there is. We're gonna make it up right now. Okay <laughs> Scene opens to interpretive dance. And then where it is a little bit, we have to flush out the details and then yada, That's yada, yada, was... yada. it's great.
0: Where <laughs> was where was the improv? Where was the yes and where there? Danielle did not provide any yes and next time
2: for her to give me something i could work
0: with there wasn't
2: anything there yet i got nothing i can't find don't put me on the spot
0: there we are um and tech tool of the week
2: (laughs) we're not there yet guys come on making fun of me
0: okay go ahead oh i thought you were oh i thought (laughs) (laughs) sure Hold Larry, on, on. you're going to have hold some on. major editing to do. <laughs> I raised my hand.
2: Steffi looked like she wanted to talk. Okay. So, <laughs> so this chart, you guys.
0: <laughs> Should we so, start over? Yeah. So. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. This is all going in.
2: So honestly, what I love about this chart is all of this legal stuff that teachers have to wade through is complicated and Nobody really knows what they're doing. And it's super boring, frankly. So this chart is really nice because it really does break down in a bunch of different ways. What are your legal responsibilities? And it's in a way that um, the language is clear and easy to understand. And I just, I like this format and it does bring up a lot of the new things that teachers are dealing with, with virtual learning.
1: I would like to echo that statement because I do actually find it interesting. It's not boring because it is it's organized in a way that makes sense to me. The impact of each of those, you know, legal areas or the laws that govern the choices and the um, decisions you have to make as you're making decisions about privacy and what you're sharing. But it breaks it down in a way that really makes sense. Like this is the this is what you have to be considering. This is the impact of X, y, or Z. And I find the chart really um, soothing because everything's in there that it's really hard to find a simplified version of this information. And there's pages and like even if you ask out in the out in the world, for examples, it's pages and pages. And this is one of the first uh, more simplified, concise reference pieces for so many areas that are. You know really important with everything we're doing as teachers and as, as as staff and students as well
0: so let's back up a little bit if, if we can and um, we're talking about this chart maybe we should discuss maybe what's in it because it's, <laughs> it's a
2: podcast
0: because it's <laughs> a podcast people aren't necessarily looking at the chart so what are we talking about when we're talking about student privacy and I, you know going back to you know, we can use the chart as reference because i do want people to go back and look at this it doesn't really, if there's a flaw in the chart, it doesn't describe what those acronyms actually mean at the top. Well,
1: right. You can you can click on them for more info. OK, but, OK. Yep. Yep. So they are hyperlinked. but um, so
0: Can we go through them at least a little bit and a quick description uh, of what each one of those pieces of student privacy we're talking about?
2: Sure. So the five things that are listed on this chart, um, there's CIPA, which is the Children's Internet Protection Act. There's FERPA, which teachers know pretty well. That's the Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act. That's the one all about not sharing student information. Um, Like I said, teachers are really good about that one in person, but when it gets to the online realm, they kind of get lost a little bit. Um, There's COPPA, which is the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, and that deals with a lot of our under-13 crowd and their information. And then the other two things that are brought in, which I really, really like, this chart brings in copyright, and it brings in some um, protections for undocumented and vulnerable students, so how you can protect students and their identity online. And then it just goes through different examples, like I want to share a picture of my virtual class on my social media feed. Can I do that? Well, no, because it's under FERPA. It's a part of their educational record. Or I can post copyrighted work in a password protected space online. Well, a password is a protected space and it could be a private space. So yes, you can do that. Like it kind of goes through each of these different things, situations.
1: I think the addition of the student an- anonymity piece was interesting because I had never seen it broken down like that. I don't know if that's a familiar, like it's a category that's not usually included. I haven't seen it broken down that way before.
0: I will say I had neither, and I I really liked the fact that that was in there and the copyright. When we talk about you know this kind of student privacy thing, we we do the we do the acronyms, but we don't go that next step. And I think it's really nice that. They did. It really does kind of encapsulate most of the things that were that teachers would need to know to keep their students safe and to keep themselves safe, uh, as in regards to making sure that they're not I don't know maybe breaking the law, <laughs> which is kind of important, including um, software usage and app usage, making sure that that they're legally allowed to use it in regards to the that end user license agreement and making sure that you're. You know, your Danielle in the district has taken a look at those those licensing agreements, and that there are they are compliant with all the regulations.
1: It's really a big job to be mindful of you know those privacy policies. They're not exciting to read, and just being aware of the implications and knowing that that's something that you have to think about when you're making decisions. But you know, thinking about when when people were getting teaching degrees and getting certifications, things have changed so much. So it's really hard to keep up. You know, I think, as we know, like as the technologies are changing, the ways that you can share and not share and um, and the ways that you need to protect information, that changes as well, and it changes rapidly. So we're always learning. You know, it's not like, okay, you you get this one you get this figured out, but for this situation, but okay, what about this situation? And yes, like is is a password protected environment, is it still going to meet the fair use for that? It can't just be a password protected environment that I give you the password out in the world and say, okay, now you're safe, but this is, is it gonna meet the fair use in using it in an ed setting that, you know, there's just so many layers to all of it. I think it's really interesting, but I also think it's, um, It's uh, something that can add a lot of time to making decisions because you have to think about um, all those different aspects. And time isn't something that people have a lot of extra. And so something like this resource really does help make it easier to make efficient and accurate decisions. It
2: it is a fairly new realm for us. Um, Kappa was in 1998, in case anyone is wondering, but oh, it has been you. through some changes since then. And until recently, I don't think it was on the forefront of our mind. I think we are talking a lot now about how teachers have this ethical responsibility to talk to their kids about digital citizenship. But they also have this ethical responsibility to protect their students' data and to protect the integrity of our school network. And that includes things like, you know, don't stick your password on the front of your um, laptop so that if you're absent, any of your kids can log into your stuff for you. Like this is legit a practice that happens. So we are only as strong as our weakest link. So we have to make sure that we're protecting that student network and our data there as well as in this whole online I don't even know what to call it, all the places that you could put in the student data because they're giving you something free that could help your kids meet XYZ.
0: I wanted to d- discuss, cause I thought this was a, an area that maybe we don't talk about a ton and it's super, super relevant in these remote learning environments. It was um, an area that uh, was labeled, I should strongly discourage non-students, including caregivers from participating or observing in virtual class sessions. I hadn't even thought about that in regards to student privacy, but um, if one of your students or all your students are um, on a Google Meet, say, and a parent is sitting in on that student session, there might be some issues there. And I, wouldn't, I would not have thought twice about that. But then when I looked, I was reading through that, oh, that's probably a FERPA viol- violation. That might be a FERPA violation. I thought I was really surprised by that.
2: It just doesn't feel fair. It doesn't feel fair that another parent would get to hear the things that my child might be saying in the classroom or might the mistakes that they might make. It it feels like that should be private information between them and the
1: teacher. In practice, it's it's a really hard thing to manage, though, too, right? Like you can encourage and you can share that information out. And hopefully with more understanding from parents and families about why that privacy matters and why that matters for their own child but it's it's very hard to control what happens out you're seeing into everybody's world as we have talked about with our barking dogs at times um but it just it it really opens up it it blurs the lines between school and home
0: we're always trying to get more parent and family engagement in the educational process of our students, and here we have a situation where, awesome, we're you know we're educating, educating these students in the same place where their parents are at, so there's that natural engagement. However, we have to take into account, and going back to the you know, our moment of zen, we have to consider some of the different um, environmental challenges and what that might mean for the other students that are on screen. Like I said, I was, I had not given that a second thought until I read that and was like, Oh, 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 that's a, that's a big issue.
2: Larry, I feel like we're learning every day. You know, like when we first started talking about digital citizenship, we were kind of seen as the ones who knew this stuff in the district. And even what we were talking about then and what we're talking about now has completely shifted. Like right now, if you were to ask me, what are the main priorities of of this topic? What are the big things that we should be talking about with staff and students? I would say probably, and Steffi helped me out, misinformation for sure, Mm -hmm. privacy and security, which includes all this stuff we're talking about today, kindness online. And then the whole idea about like the ethics of technology use. And there's a lot there, that is totally different than how we talked about this topic even a year ago, even two years ago. It's okay. We're all learning and we're all growing and we're all making changes. And when you know better, do better.
1: As we've, you know, pivoted back and forth between delivery modes, you know, teachers have had experiences teaching online and things have happened. Like I think those questions are coming up, not just about these issues, but in practice, in theory it's gonna be a little bit different, right? So I think as we encounter situations and we learn and grow, as Danielle's saying, we're making some of those adjustments as we do as teachers on the fly anyway, and, and you know reacting to how best to serve the needs of the kiddos. And and I think you're right. I think things have totally changed in terms of what the main focuses are. And I would say, you know, I would add copyright in there because as teachers are producing a lot more content in a visual format, what they can do with it and how it can be shared we've had a lot more questions about that because people are just more in the realm of of content creation we should write our own curriculum it will start with a one-act play
2: in <laughs> an interpretive dance <laughs> and i won't drop the football i promise
0: <laughs> the the uh liz colbs document which is copyrighted with a, a creative commons license uh um,
1: larry let's talk about that for a second
0: well can i get can I just real quick I, I do wonder, because you know, as you guys were saying, there's been so much change. I would I would love to see the edits to this, how many of these were recent. You kind of see the timeline of our edits to see which ones were like, oh, I guess we need that one in there now, or I guess we need this column in here there now, because I have a feeling this is definitely a working working document. It's, it, it has to be because there has been so much change. I just wanted to say that. And so, Copyrights. Feel free to dig into that.
2: So Creative Commons, in case you don't know, it's um, a nonprofit organization and network devoted to educational access and expanding the range of created works available for others to build upon legally and to share. So you can take anything that you've created... And you are saying what people are allowed to do with it, whether they're allowed to use it, whether they're allowed to remix it, whether they're allowed to uh, make a profit off of it. And you kind of set those terms and put it at the bottom of your document so everybody knows how they can legally use your work. Correct?
1: Yes. And and I think that's a really helpful um, organization that makes a big difference. for. It makes you think about it, for one, right? Like, people are aware of, okay, I can do X, Y, and Z. But... Making the reuse and, you know, remixing and, and whatnot and sharing, making that, that legal and fair to the content creator is um, and really important for kiddos to be learning as they're, as they're making. And, you know, we've got kids producing stuff all the time.
0: Yeah, I had a conversation years ago with my daughter who didn't necessarily understand how intellectual property worked really at all. I think for a lot of our younger students or all of our students at this point in time, where so much of the content is available, so much of the content is quote unquote free to them, their um, relationship with content is inherently different than what our relationship with content is. And where we have a general understanding of intellectual property and how it works and um, copyright and how it works because it's an old law i I really don't think our students have uh, as clear a grasp on on that at all it's you know it is it's it's on it's online if I can get it I can get it
1: and it's not the the act of copying all the words word for word out of a book right it's it's instantaneous that you can grab and share something and say it's your own like there's no there's almost no work on your part to do any of that and and I think that makes it harder for kids to realize that that it's stealing someone's work because it's so easy to do
2: it's a super hard topic i mean you just okay so stuffy just got me into tiktok (laughs) (laughs) which is it's very interesting though because you can search for any song Mm -hmm. put it in and create your own thing with it so when is it okay and when is it not okay? Like, when are you taking an entire song and putting it behind your video, and that's not okay because you're sharing it on YouTube? Like how how do you explain that to kids? That's and grown-ups. it's really complicated.
0: The conversation I had with my, my kiddo went a little a little deeper was, okay, so you, you appreciate artists or creators if you're consuming their content for free, how are they making a living? How does the content continue to be created? Because if they can't make a living out of it, they're going to stop creating. So there has to be some level of compensation or acknowledgement to them for them to continue making the content. And along those lines, it's been interesting to see how content creators are leveraging their intellectual property in a new environment and you know the creative commons license is something that is a useful tool for them as platforms change and move and new avenues for i guess marketing their content gets created and how that actually dovetails into how educators educators can use content is as a whole nother story as far as what is fair use and what isn't fair use and what can be used in the classroom and what can be shared with students beyond issues of plagiarism what is allowable for a teacher to use in their classroom and then also be displayed outside the classroom which i think the chart actually does a decent job of of explaining
1: well even thinking about movies that are shown back in the day if you brought in a movie from your house To show, like there was an understanding that you couldn't show something publicly, right? Like it was, but the act of like actually having the physical thing, it was easier for people, I think, to understand. But you could just log into your Netflix account and show anything to a huge group of people at any time. But that doesn't mean you're allowed to do that just because you can. It's like so many things because you can, should you? The nuances of all that is really there's a lot there. There's a lot to tease out and figure out. And Danielle and I have talked about this, like having this chart from Liz Kolb, who is, you know, arguably one of the experts in this area and, and her being able to break it down as, as succinctly, but it's still, you know, as Danielle said at the beginning, it's, I think it's interesting, but it's still dry. And how do you make the information, which inherently is dry to most people, m- relevant and interesting? once people understand that they are, when people have a situation that they need to tease out the details, whether they have ramifications from what they've shared, or they're just wondering, can I do X, Y, or Z, then it becomes, you know, more relevant and interesting to explore the the, the ins and outs of all that. But how do we, how do we get that information on the front end, right? Like, what is the base level of understanding that people need as they're making those decisions? So we can be proactive and not run into issues on the other side. So I feel
2: like the ethics piece of all of this is really fascinating. Like what, and how, how do you get kids talking about this? Like, like Larry, when you brought up the idea of creators and how do they get paid and how do they continue to be able to produce this, this art, that, really resides in the ethics piece too. Have any of you um, read, Kristen Mattson has a new book out called Ethics in a Digital World, Guiding Students Through Society's Biggest Questions. Kristen was one of our um, keynote speakers, was it last year for Wired? Yes. Yes. So so. have any of you checked out her book yet? Because I I really feel like that's going to be something that could be important to this work.
1: I agree. I think the ethics are... um, interesting topics that touch on a lot of areas that really are um, forefront for students there's a lot of hooks in there right you know you don't have to be a nerd about this stuff to find those big like how it touches you in it as a as a person right and your art and what you care about and your passion and the things you find joy in sharing like looking at it from from that side and not maybe the you know it's not just the like Bad stuff. You can't do this. Don't do this. This is a this is a risk. You might run into this. Like, how are you sharing your work in a way that's honest and fair and fair to the creators? And um, again, leading with kindness. Really, I mean, respecting other people's work and and celebrating your work in a way that's fair and accurate.
0: It's funny you had mentioned Steffi at the start of this that this is going to be a loose discussion. <laughs> and, and we have, it, it, I think it probably speaks to how broad this goes. We've jumped from students as the focus to parents as the focus to teachers as the focus to the creators as a focus, you know, we've jumped all over the place to conversation about general ethics and digital ethics. And, you know, we look at this chart and you, you've mentioned a couple of times that this is pretty dry. The reality is this is not dry. This is a really, really meaty discussion. And if we wanted to talk about, you know, digital ethics earlier in our discussion, we were talking about copyright and copyright in the classroom. And heck, we could spend hours and hours on the idea of fair use and what is fair, what is fair use in an educational environment. The research that I've done, the precedent for fair use in a classroom is, again, murky, <laughs> very, very murky, which, you know, I guess brings us back to really that ethics idea you know sometimes there's a there's a, a stick in a carrot and maybe in this situation the carrot is a better guide um you know what legal what is legally appropriate is one thing but what is ethically appropriate is maybe the more important thing you know pr- an ounce of prevention equals a pound of cure you know ethics is the is the prevention so having those discussions with our students and our par- and our parents about what is ethical digitally is important
2: so that's the heart of all this stuff larry i think you're right like instead of focusing on the legal 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 let's let's get to the heart of this and the kids and what they deserve and what they need
0: we could definitely delve into a, a much more philosophical conversation around around ethics but if there's anything else that you guys would like to add you know feel free
1: well i w- i just wanted to add that you know we're here to to work through these questions with people and that there's no bad questions surrounding any of this. And it is really complex. And I don't think anyone should feel like they should know this already. Like, I don't want to ask this question because I feel like I should know. There's nothing like that at all. And so we're here as a support to help answer these kind of questions and to get information out to kids and, and staff and parents and families. Um, and not that we have. I know I do not have all the answers, but I am excited and happy to wrestle with it and figure out and do some research and try to get a an answer that's maybe better than murky.
2: Take absolute podcast better than murky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we have a new tagline. Actually, that could be the name of the of the uh, one act play.
1: <laughs> better than murky. Okay. See, it's taking form. By the end or, of this, oh. We'll
2: you're swimming
1: through the, <laughs> There's the, the interpretation oceans yes. Of,
2: yes. of junk. And then all of a sudden, stuffy,
1: the librarians hand we, you a hand and you take it. We throw a life preserver to you in the tsunami of information that you're getting. This
0: is true. So <laughs> I'll it right there. Tech tool of the week.
2: Tech tool of the week. This week. So I was doing some um, work on the student website. And I wanted to do different colored sections with, um, so like one section would have a pink background, one would have a purple, one would have a blue. And then so, okay, I thought it would be easy for littles. Then teachers could say, go to the pink section. But then David Noller reminded me that some kids are colorblind. So what do you do? So we talked about putting icons, putting like a little picture of an elephant in one section and a little picture of a penguin in another section. Well, great idea. Okay, brilliant. But you all know that I am not going to violate copyright. So how am I, and I'm not going to draw them. So where am I going to find these cute little icons that I can use? So I found two different places that I want to share today. One is flaticon.com. You can access over 4 million vector icons, and they're available free. You just have to cite the creator and the footer of your website, which I've done. Um, And these are really, really good. And then yesterday, I was in a Google training, and they talked about fonts.google.com. So everybody knows fonts.google.com. You can get all these fonts that you can put into your Google Docs. But there's an entire section with free-to-use icons that are free, downloadable. And some of these are, are like pretty general, like hearts and little puppy paws and stars and things like that. But thinking about some of the Google trainings that I do, some of these are legit icons of the things you need to click on in Google Docs to you know, download or the extension button or the little um button up there in my Google Meet that I click on to go to breakout rooms. Like all those are on there too. So this is super, super helpful. Both of these resources, flaticon.com and fonts.google.com, the icon section. Both of these are really great for getting things that you can use freely or with some attribution. Those sound great.
0: Absolutely checking those out. That may have been the most useful part of this pod.
1: That was that was <laughs> way better than murky.
0: Larry. Yeah, that was <laughs> That was way better than Murky. <laughs> not the play. The yeah, not to be awesome.
1: confused. That title is copyrighted, too.
0: <laughs> All right. So follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TCAPSloop.
2: At BrostromDA. At Steffi Light.
0: Subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Downcast, Overcast, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or wherever else you get your ear candy. Leave review. We love to hear what you have to say about the pod. Thanks for listening and inspiring.
1: What would be their (laughs) review after this podcast? (laughs)